I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi. And uh, I got my blackjack gum here. And I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. All right, all right, all right. Oh, let's get fired up here. Everybody knows that the days are Maximum freedom. Read. Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. This is brought to you by the fine folks from ReadRothbard.com. We also run ActualAnarchy.com. And today, we're going to talk about the movie Pump Up the Volume, the 1990 Christian Slater comedy romance heartthrob flick from way back in the day. It was so good that it made me think Cuffs was a good idea to watch afterward. That's a terrible movie by the way. Uh, Robert, Robert is with me. How are you doing, Robert? We're going to get your brothers and sisters. I don't know why, but we're going to come for your siblings. And that was a big song, and we're pumping up the volume. If you don't get that reference, it's from a song called Pump Up the Volume by Mars. And I had that little, what, little single record player. I'm talking a single. Okay, so it's a little piece of vinyl. It's a circle for all you young kids out there. And it had one song on one side and one song on the other side. And I don't even know what those are called. Probably like 45s or something like that. But it had Pump Up the Volume by Mars on it. And uh, that was one of the few songs I had when I was like eight years old, nine years old. I don't know. Bringing me back, Daniel. Good job. Good, good selection. And we got a good guest for this one. Say hello to Nathan, everybody. Yeah, we got Nathan Frazier. He runs uh, Podcast Blast Off and the Free Market Squad. He has a podcast of his own, and he is uh, way better at this than we are. But are you there, Nathan? How are you? I am here. Am I coming through okay? Yeah. You sound professional. You got like a professional mic and everything, right? Um, I do. I take podcasting a little too seriously. First of all, thank you for inviting me on. I do appreciate it. Yeah, well, you're you're certainly welcome. We appreciate having someone uh, to come on and talk about a movie such as this, where you know there's a guy running around doing his own uh, his own radio, which we kind of all get to do t- these days, right? Like, it's sort of prescient that way. So, yeah, absolutely. So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, uh, to the audience, so they know who they're dealing with, how they can find. Uh, what you do and all that stuff. So my name is Nathan Frazier. Uh, I'm a podcaster. I do a podcast called uh, <laughs> Egotistically Enough, The Nathan Frazier Show. Uh, I'm also the owner of Podcast Blast Off. It's a uh, podcast hosting and all-around podcasting resource for people to help get their podcasts off the ground. Um, and I focus on, in my own podcast, I focus on uh, liberty and libertarian themes, uh, anarcho-capitalist 
kind of. I I don't know if I totally feel comfortable wearing that label, but uh, I'm definitely an anarchist. I'm definitely a capitalist, and um, and I'm a marketer, and so that's kind of what makes up the main content of the show. And then you mentioned Free Market Squad, which is just a it's a, it's an online community for uh, liberty-minded entrepreneurs, liberty-minded business owners, and liberty-minded uh, marketers to kind of get together, encourage each other, share insights with each other, and uh, help each other grow everybody's business together. Now that all sounds great, and we'll uh, post links to all of these things down in our uh, show notes page. And so if anyone wants to find out any more information about what you do, they will have the means to do so. So thanks again for coming on. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Thanks for joining, or thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, you know, as everybody knows, the dice are loaded, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually how... one of the songs <laughs> that's in the in the in the movie that we're going to be talking about today. Exactly. Yeah. So in uh, Pump Up the Volume, that's one of the that is like the lead-in song for all of his uh, pirate radio broadcasts. And I'm just going to peruse the wiki. I haven't seen this movie in quite a while. I know Robert hasn't either. Uh, Nathan, you have, so we're going to lean on you heavily. So thank you for doing that. Um, but uh, it stars Christian Slater. He plays a guy named Mark Hunter who recently moves to a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona, and he's kind of this uh, shy dude um, in high school. You know, it's a new environment for him. He's not a jock. He's not any, you know, particular uh, uh, in-group, out-group identity. So he's just kind of quiet. But at night, you know, he's this um, pretty uh, outspoken um, radio DJ type uh, on, a, on this pirate radio broadcast that he does out of his parents' basement. And he opens every show with Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, who um, died rather recently. And uh, he plays a bunch of, um, you know, like pre-indie type stuff. I mean, this is all before Nirvana, right? <laughs> so <laughs> this is like the Pixies and, and Primal Scream, Soundgarden, Ice-T, Henry Rollins, those guys. Um, but uh, he starts to gain a following uh, as uh, his persona is uh, Happy Harry Hardon or Hard Harry, which is Triple H, which is uh, related to the high school he goes to, Hubert Humphrey High School. And... He um, gets popular and influential and starts getting people calling in, and uh, one of the students who calls in um, ends up committing suicide, which is, of course, terrible. And uh, Harry's not sure if he can go you know, back on the air, but then he decides to, to take it head on and actually deal with the issue. And, and he has this speech where he tells everyone, you know, don't take the easy way out. You know, you got to fight through this. High school is the worst part of your life, and, and it'll only get better from here, so you got to make it through this. And he gets, you know, a bigger following related to that. But then he also gets the FCC after him for running an unlicensed radio station, and, and the police are involved. And uh, he ends up uncovering a scandal at the high school, which we can talk about a little bit because I think that's kind of interesting. And then there's a, uh, a chase where they're trying to triangulate a signal and shut him down. And he gets arrested at the end, but he inspires all the other students to, you know, start their own show. And uh, so all these other pirate radio broadcasts kind of spring up from that. So, Nathan, was that a, a fairly okay summary? I know you saw it a little bit more recently than me, so maybe you can add a little meat to those bones. And then I want to play a clip about the FCC and pirate radio 
by Murray Rothbard, which is about five minutes long, and that'll give us a jumping off point into the rest of the show. Yeah, it's it's actually uh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's it's probably the biggest reason why I even started podcasting was the influence that that movie had on my uh, young, moldable psyche. And then when podcasting became available, I was like, oh, <laughs> what that guy did is now possible for everybody to do. And and you mentioned at the end of the movie how um how a bunch of people start. They, he gets arrested and everybody picks up uh, the reins from where he was at and and, and continues the movement. Um, it's it's kind of like that visual image of a police officer trying to silence an idea by beating it, but what he's got a hold of is uh, a dandelion, and by beating it, all he's doing is spreading the seeds of the dandelion. Of the dandelion, uh, it's kind of like that. They, they take him down. They try to stop free speech by taking him down, but all it does is inspire um, the idea to spread like a virus, which is which was uh, one of the themes of the movie that really succinctly gets summed up at the end. And, and um, I kind of feel like that's what podcasting is doing right now is, is allowing people to uh, get their ideas out there in a way that has not been possible before. So that's kind of why uh, I make money off of podcasting and, and I have a business that's focused around it. But um, it's really a it's really a passion for me because it it, uh, it allows people to get their ideas ideas out there in a way that has not been possible before and in a way that has been bottlenecked and censored and uh, is no longer that way anymore. So um, I'm pretty passionate about what I'm able to do. Yeah, that's great. I just want to touch on uh, the thing you said where, you know, he gets arrested and they blow the dandelion seeds, seeds out into the air. That reminds me of that recent um, Antifa riots down in Berkeley where they're trying to silence Milo Yiannopoulos, um, claiming that he's a white supremacist, homophobe, even though he's a gay dude who dates black guys. Um, but they, they try to shut him down and, and they, in, you know, initiatory violence on their part. And then Milo becomes the number one search term on Google. Uh, whatever his you know his show shoots up the charts, his book sells really well. So it's exactly that. You know they try to silence him, they try to shut him down uh, because they don't want his message out there, and then it explodes. You know the reaction is he gets way more coverage than he would have had they just sat at home and not messed with him. You know. Can I can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. Have you, do you have you ever heard of the Barbara Streisand effect? I've heard the term, but. Um, why don't you uh, let us know what you're, so, what you're saying? So there was a website that had a picture. It was like a Google Earth snapshot or some, side, some sort of satellite snapshot of Barbara Streisand's house. And uh, it showed how lavishly she lived. It kind of went against um, her virtue, virtue signaling. And uh, it, it, showed, it showed where her house was at, what her house looked like, how luxurious her house was. And uh, she didn't want it on the internet. The website that had it up uh, was getting like two or three views per year. Um, so she went to she went to court, tried to shut them down, and all they ended up doing was drawing a bunch of attention to this website. And it went from getting two or three views per year to getting hundreds of thousands of views per day. And uh, oftentimes in our uh, in our zeal to shut ideas down or to shut points of view down, we end up just calling more attention to them. And I don't want to make this seem like only the left is guilty of this because I saw the same thing happen with Netflix recently. Uh, Netflix has some new 
show based off of an old documentary or an old film called Dear White People coming out. And uh, people, uh, uh, people that lean a little bit to the right on the, in the liberty community just flipped out over this new Netflix show and was, there was a whole boycott Netflix. And, uh, and all it ended up doing was being a great piece of publicity for this new show that's going to be coming out, uh, much like Milo Yiannopoulos and, and his book uh, coming out and people flipping out over how, how could this book company back a, uh, a racist, misogynist, sexist, um, hate monger, and then all it does is push the book to number one on their pre-orders. Uh, as human beings, we, we tend to, in order to fight against ideas we're not comfortable with, we tend to actually just feed those ideas. So uh, I, I don't want to make it seem like only authoritarians are guilty of this. Even sometimes liberty-minded people fall victim to this same uh, strife and effect uh, mentality. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I think it shows how powerful it is to ignore ideas. I mean, if when you like, there's a big debate in the anarcho world, at least that, that I see, where you either work within the system to reduce the power of government, or you just ignore it out of existence. I'm of the mind that everyone should just ignore bad ideas. Like government is a bad idea, just ignore it out of existence. Um, easier said than done, of course, you need to get a lot of people on board. But <clears throat> when you end up fighting a bad idea like government, you end up, like you say, giving it more legitimacy, giving it more popularity, that sort of thing. Uh, people don't like to be forced into changing their mind. They tend to rebel against that, and rightfully so. They recognize force as immoral. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's right. Just a, a final note on that. As a marketer, I know that one of the most valuable resources is attention. Uh, people, and, and nowadays, attention is so scarce. There's so much out there, so many advertisements, so many different TV shows, so much real-life stuff going on that's begging for your attention. As an advertiser, as a marketer, the number one thing that I need to get from people is their attention. And uh, and. If you can get somebody's attention, if you can get somebody paying attention to you, that's half of the battle. And a lot of times um, people don't realize that the way that they're fighting against ideas that they're not comfortable with or ideas that they don't agree with is by giving those ideas attention. And attention is a valuable commodity. So uh, it's kind of like trying to fight a fire by throwing gasoline on it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember... I don't watch a lot of TV, but I was watching the Super Bowl recently, and I watch it with um, some older relatives that I have. And, you know, they constantly remark, like, what are these commercials even about? These are just bizarre. They don't have anything to do with the product. And I'm like, well, they don't really care if they really make a whole lot of sense, so long as you remember that product name. If they caught your attention and you're thinking about Pepsi or whatever or that car, that's all they care about. They don't care that the, the commercial actually makes sense, is coherent, is actually talking about the product's, you know, good points or anything like that. Sometimes they do, but more often than not, you're right. I think it's just uh, just pay attention to us. Keep us in your mind. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, guys, I think this is as good a place as any to uh, 
set the table for Murray Rothbard to talk about property rights in relation to the uh, radio airwaves, because that's kind of the one of the points of the movie is that he's running a pirate radio station. And uh, he'll talk about how uh, the FCC came about and kind of has a chilling effect. So it is actually one day one way to shut down um, free speech. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Murray and Rothbard. This is a five-minute clip, and then we'll be back right after this. Well, now we have another area where the government doesn't allow private property ownership, in a sense, overuse, I guess. But here, here the problem is a little bit different. But again, you have an area where the government does not allow private, allows the use of something, but doesn't allow property and resource itself. And these are radio and TV channels. Again, you have a situation where radio was first invented. The question is, how do the courts deal with this whole question? Who owns what? And during the 19, early 20s, when radio was first coming in, people are operating radio stations in Detroit at certain telecycles, and et cetera, et cetera. And somebody else would then beam something in the same telecycle nearby, There'd be interference, and they went to the courts, and the courts would then decide, could only decide on the basis of common law, which is basically libertarian, and they, they began to make decisions, the Illinois courts, for example, made decisions, okay, here's what you do. The guy who homesteads, in a sense, in other words, the guy who first sets up his channel of 1,600 kilocycles, blah, 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 owns that kilocycle, or owns the right to beam out on that frequency, then you have to find a technological unit, just as you find it for 160 acres of wetland or for oil pool, the technological unit is fairly easy to find out. It's a certain width, whatever the width of the band is, so you don't have interference, and the radius of the, of the frequency beam is sent out. So you decide, okay, you have a 200-mile radius, let's say, and you own the 1,600 kilocycles within a band of uh, plus or minus a certain number of kilocycles for this 200-mile period. And anybody who interferes with this is a transgressor, and you know, is aggressing against your property, and you can take an injunction and smash them. Now, this is beginning to be developed in the early 20s. Now, what happens is that Herbert Hoover, now, why he did this, I don't really know. Nobody, as far as I know, has investigated the infamous Radio Act in 1926, I think it was. Hoover decided there's a terrible thing going on. People are interfering in each other's radio channels. We can't allow this, and private enterprise hasn't worked in this area, and private property, therefore we have to have, we have to nationalize the radio frequency, which he did, because he did not tell the rest of the country about the, the court decisions which were quietly going on at the same time. So Hoover, who was the Secretary of Commerce at the time, pushes through the Radio Act, which nationalized radio channels and later on, of course, TV channels. This means the channels all are owned by the government, not by private people. In order to be allowed graciously to use channel 1600 kilocycles, you have to get a license from the Federal Communications Commission. And this means, of course, total totalitarian control over the media, radio and TV media. And it's a total suppression of free free speech, free press, and I don't know why nobody seems to realize this, because, for example, the FCC requires so-called balanced news. For a long time, they didn't allow any editorials, because an editorial means somehow you're loading the dice. They demand equal time by, by every cluck who comes on with a certain point of view. So it's got to be balanced, it can't be this, can't be that, which really means if you take any kind of position at all, which is certainly any position which differs from, from the majority, you get clobbered by the FCC. The FCC doesn't renew your license. And this is complete totalitarianism. Supposing, for example, it's applied to the press and the magazines and, and books and, and newspapers. Supposing the government said, okay, from now on, there's a blah, 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 we have an interference, there's scarcity of newsprint. That's another argument for nationalization, the fact that the radio and TV channels are scarce. Of course, everything's scarce, as we should know by this time. Every darn thing that's not free is scarce. 
So newsprint scarcity nationalized everything. The government then nationalized everything and then licenses people to be allowed to print stuff. Well, in that case, we would have a similar situation. Any newspaper steps out of line a little bit, a little too radical, a little too uh, rambunctious. Your license is not going to be a renewed buster. Of course, you have complete freedom of speech, but you can't operate without a license. You can't produce anything. You can't sell anything without a license. Now, this would be considered total totalitarianism, fascism of the worst sort. And yet, we allow the same thing to happen on radio and TV, and nobody protests about it. This is the exact same situation. There was, for example, a heroic libertarian radio station in Hawaii, not too long ago, an FM station, I think, which is quite popular, which was beaming libertarian broadcasts several hours a night, which then got clobbered by the FCC because this is unbalanced reporting or whatever, and they threatened to take their license away, and they didn't have the money even to fight the, the legal fee to fight the license, so they just folded it up. So this is just a small indication. The thing is, it obviously permeates. It has what the courts call a chilling effect on any kind of real freedom of speech in the media. And this is a direct result of nationalization. What happens is that the networks, for example, have this big bonus in the fact that they, they're allowed to use these channels for nothing. They don't have to pay any money for it, either to anybody else or the government or whatever. So you have this peculiar situation where the networks are locked into a subsidy because they're getting the use of the channel free, and yet they have no real power over it. They have no power over what they say, etc. Of course, one argument technologically is that now with UHF and with FM, etc., and cable, there are a lot more channels. I mean, enormous number, the range of channels increased. But the principle is still there. The, the idea that you should nationalize something because it's scarce, you know, completely justify any kind of collectivist except the air, which also has been collectivized anyway. So the government owns the air. We'll get to that in a minute. Mic drop. It's Murray Rothbard laying it out there. A lot to unpack in that. What do you guys think? For sure. All right, and that's been our yeah, show, uh, ladies and right. gentlemen. No, just kidding. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's uh, totalitarianism. It's absolutely control over over what you think and say and do. What do you think, Daniel? Well, you know, um, watching the movie at the time, I, I thought it was a great, you know, F you to the man. I was always kind of anti-authority, and I didn't really have a name for it. Um, we were talking to Nathan pre-show a little bit about how we were kind of left-leaning at the time um, when this movie came out, just because it was like, it seemed like the the Christian conservative right wanted to impose morality on us through the force of government, and so we were kind of you know, against that idea, but now, of course, everything's flipped around, and now the left wants thought police, and you can't say this, you can't say that, but you must say this other thing, and if you leave anything out, we're going to be pissed. Uh, so, this film, in retrospect, I think is even greater in my mind than it, than it was at the time. I mean, like I said in the opening, uh, it was a good enough film that made me think that watching the other movie that Christians later did after this, called Cuffs, uh, thinking that watching that would be a good idea, which it was not. It was a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> Isn't that like he's a cop and he's got like a dog partner or something? Uh, it could be that. I know he's a cop. He's a young cop and he's uh, got some lady friend. I don't know if there's a dog or not. That might have been a Tom Hanks movie. There was definitely a Tom Hanks movie with a dog, but something tells me there was a Christian Slater one with a dog too. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so... Anyway, I mean, now that I'm, you know, full-fledged, like, ANCAP libertarian and, you know, this clip from Murray, it's like, yeah, you know, fuck, fuck the FCC. And uh, fortunately, they don't have, like, control over us right now. I think if they got their net neutrality thing, they'd have some sort of jurisdiction over 
what we can say and not say on a podcast. But fortunately, you know, we, we don't have that. So I think that's, that's a good thing. I think that it is an inspiration to have people be able to go out and, and like Nathan was saying earlier, you know, get your voice out there. You can pretty much say whatever you want. And getting attention, being controversial, is a, a great way to get that attention, right? That's half the battle. So uh, if you don't mind, let's kind of unpack the the because this movie was made in the 90s, so it was a different it was a different political atmosphere. And uh, like you said, uh, back then it was the conservatives that were that were more um, about censorship and and uh, and regulating the ideas that could be put out there um, in the 90s. Right, yeah. As far as as far as I remember, there was uh, there was the there was Twisted Sister standing up against Congress trying to censor records. There was people uh, buying CDs that they didn't like and setting them on fire and running over running over them with a steamroller out in front of record stores. Um, there was uh, very much this this kind of like the rebellious teens that wanted to explore things that the conservative parents did not want being talked about and uh, that that whole feeling was um, kind of packaged up into this movie and so it was I, I don't want to say it was left leaning but it was definitely uh, the the liberal libertine type of uh, of um, of teenage rebelliousness against the stifled conservative uh, type of mentality and and as a kid myself when I watched it um, that was very appealing to me and uh, it, it is weird that now the left has become the authoritarians the left has become what attracted what attracted me to the left in the uh, originally when I was younger was what they were fighting against has now become what <laughs> what they embody it's it's uh, I don't know would you guys like to chime in and kind of uh, give your thoughts on why we've watched this almost completely roll. It's, it's almost like uh, conservatism, and I'm not a conservative by any means, but it, it's almost like conservatism has become the counterculture now, whereas leftism used to be the counterculture. Yeah, I think that's a big shift from the, I mean, with the the whole left in the the SJW culture coming out of the universities. Um, they, they seem to be very government oriented and very establishment oriented and like, you know, use the, the mechanisms of government and power to get what we want. And, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the right is very much rebelling against that, rightfully so. Um, cause they want to, you know, be the PC police. They want to be controlling what they used to do was like, you know, get government out of our bedrooms and now, they want to force everybody to, <clears throat> I don't know, I mean, it's not a huge issue to me, but like have transgenders in the bathrooms. And if you're saying bad words, you're the worst person in the world, as opposed to the people who mass murder people. It's, uh, it is, it's a weird, weird flip. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I guess I've just been a rebel my whole life. <laughs> is that, it's just weird. I, I made this big shift from being a lefty to an anarchist. And, uh, yeah, I guess I just become more and more of an extreme rebel the more I, the more I live. Yeah. What do you that, have to say about that? That's, that's, uh, that's a really good point you, you both bring up. Um, and I remember there were, uh, like two live crew 
and NWA were mm-hmm. getting in trouble for their lyrics, and I think Judas Priest was being brought into court for apparently their lyrics were telling people to kill people or kill themselves or something along those lines. And so, yeah, it was a backlash against that, you know, that that control, that thought control. And it, it did seem to be against the conservatives. And now, like you're like you're saying, it is flipped around. It's really bizarre because there still are Christian conservatives out there, and I'm sure they still wish they could impose morality upon upon others. Uh, I think that they do that in some respects. Um, but I mean, I guess the bright side is that now that the left has shown themselves to be so aggressive and not pro- progressive, uh, perhaps the people with the anti-authoritarian streak will now be attracted to an actual anarchy. Actualanarchy.com, folks. Click on any uh, Amazon link to support our site, Actual Anarchy. But you know, then we'll attract the people who are have that streak in them. You know, like libertarianism and and being able to be free from uh, third party you know, interfering with what you want to do or what someone else wants to do, you know, voluntary trade, transactions, free association, all of those things, those are all great. And I think that, um, you know, both sides of the continuum of the left and right have shown themselves to be against the individual doing what they wish to do. So it kind of leaves, you know, we're the only other option left, right? Yeah, and it seems like, uh, I guess what troubles me about it is, Throughout my life, I've kind of seen the gun being handed back and forth, and I've seen both parties just become completely abusive when they're the ones in control. When that, when they've got their fingers on the trigger, uh, all of the old arguments of we don't want to be oppressed and and people shouldn't use government to force their ideals on other people. As soon as they're the ones with the fingers on the trigger, it seems like that whole ideology goes out the window. Um, but Tying it back to this movie uh, and the time period when it was, I mean, this was like uh, middle of maybe the v- beginning of Bill Clinton, the end era of, of George Bush Sr. And um, and these last eight years with Obama and, and and what I'm kind of concerned about is now going into uh, going into the next however many years with Trump. Um, it's just been every single time that one party has been in control, they've just slowly gotten more and more abusive with that control. And as a reaction, when the pendulum swings the other way, it seems to swing even harder than the last time it was swinging that way. And, uh, you know, I don't like to be the fear monger. I don't like to be the um, Donald Trump is, is the next Hitler. Cause I think that's kind of a, a sensationalist, ridiculous argument to make, but um some of the some of the people that still buy into the left right still buy into um we should be able to use government to force our opinions on others as a reaction to how abusive the left has gotten in the last however many years um i'm kind of concerned that there might be an equal and and even may maybe more momentous push the opposite direction and uh i don't know do you think that i'm uh do you think that I'm concerned for nothing in that, or, or do you guys kind of uh, have concerns about that as well? No, just to, just to illustrate your point, um, you see it really vividly when the right is in power and all these small government Republicans just go silent. And then when the left is in power, all the anti-war left just, just go silent. <laughs> 
It's, it's, yeah, uh, as long as it's, as long as it's our team in control, then yeah, I don't have an issue with it. It's always it's always railing against the other side, and it's not. There's no principle at play. It's just, well, government's fine whenever we're in power. It's 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 really disgusting. It's it's yeah. Anyway, yeah, they're always horrified by what powers um, that were allowed to accrue under their watch is now transferred to someone else. So like all of the assumed powers that Obama accreted um, to the presidency is now being utilized by Trump. And, and that's one of the reasons why so many people are horrified because they're like, oh, my God, now he can do this. Well, it was OK when Obama did it or when he right. created that you know, ability to do it. Because every, every uh, administration, like, you know, it's always the encroachment, right? They can always, like, set precedents for someone else to do it later. And it ends up biting these people in the ass. And it reminds me of, um, you know, Nathan, you were talking about how this pendulum gets more wild and uh, more violent swings. It's like when um, a certain type of dog walks across a bridge and the cadence of the dog, the steps of the dog get amplified as they go along and the bridge starts to sway and sway and sway and sway more violently. And um, I think there was a bridge in New York or on the border somewhere with Canada where this bridge was particularly susceptible to this. And they would have uh, people who would be watching for dogs and shoot the dogs to prevent the bridge, the bridge from collapsing because of this effect that they would have on the bridge. I might be making this up a little bit, but I'm pretty sure if you Google it, uh, you'll find something related to this, uh, unless I'm just totally talking out of my ass. So what just you're saying to, uh, is helicopter rides? No. Helicopter rides? <laughs> oh, you guys aren't deep enough into it, I guess. Sorry. That's it, it's it's okay. It's it's like uh on the all on the on the control left, you've got um when we're in power, we're going to put everybody in gulags, and then on the alt right, you've got when we're in power, we're going to be throwing people out of helicopters. You haven't seen that meme? Oh, that's no. a that's a Pinochet reference, right? There you go. Okay. Yeah, I've seen that it uh reference and alt-right type stuff i don't think um <laughs> we don't identify as alt-right uh we identify as no, but, uh, human freedom but it does it does it does as somebody who's who stands for liberty it does it does show that the extremes of on one side people want to take people who don't agree with them and lock them up in work camps and then on the other side people want to take people who don't agree with them and throw them out of helicopters and it's just like uh People like me stuck in the middle, that's like what the, that's what the argument has, has kind of been degraded to is, is, uh, you know, you don't think like us, we're going to stick you in a work camp or you don't think like us, we're going to throw you out of a helicopter. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, man, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's scary that, that, uh, people go to those extremes and it's not, it's not historically unprecedented. It, it has happened before. Yeah, I don't know why it's just those two options, you know, like why why can't there be, you know, in my ideal world, just leave us alone, you know, let us go homestead or purchase an area and then don't impose your will on us. But everyone else seems to think that, no, there must be a a top-down authoritarian who controls everything. Like in, in my ideal world, the commies could go live in a commune and be commies, do whatever you want. And we have the right to self-defense. We'll, you know, protect ourselves if you impose upon us. 
but we're going to have a voluntary society over here. We're going to be Galt's Gulch. You know, why can't that be everywhere? Um, you know, it's a, this either or and, and both ends of that spectrum are actually pretty terrible. Um, you know, again, you know, we're the third way, right? Yeah, well, that brings up a lot of, and these are things that I kind of deal with in my own head as well. Is like, uh, I'm very much a propertarian, but I wasn't always because I grew up very poor and uh, I grew up with a lot of the indoctrination of people that are rich and successful became that way by exploiting the working class and, and government is there to keep everything in line. And, and uh, if somebody has five houses, you know, a house for each season and then a winter or a, a vacation house as well. Or a house um, on the they, lake like uh, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah, they, they, that nobody needs that. <laughs> nobody needs that many choices of deodorant. Um, I, I used to actually fall into that mindset and, and, and not having a lot of property and not feeling very valuable to the people around you. It's very easy to, uh, it's very easy to buy into that ideal. And, and so I can see why, you know, if two sets of people both agree that government is probably not the best way to handle situations, um, people like myself who believe in capitalism, believe in meritocracy, we would say, well, okay, that's fine, but we do need to have property rights. We need to have established property rights. But on the other hand, people who don't feel like that, you know, they're insecure about what kind of value they could provide for people. They're insecure about whether or not they could actually thrive in a meritocracy. They're not going to want property rights. They're going to want communal owning of everything. And so, like you said, you would like to see a world where, uh, if you want to get together with people and trade voluntarily, that's fine. And if other people want to get together and, and live communally in, in their own little, uh, compound or whatever, then that's fine as well. But people on the other side, and I'm saying this having spent most of my life as somebody on that other side, uh, a lot of those people would say, well, yeah, but we can't get that land and, and, the fact that you trade is oppressive to us, and uh, if you guys do better than we do, um, we have a right just by mere existence. And the fact that we don't respect your meritocracy, we don't respect your your private property. You know, we don't think the same way about property as you do. And by you not letting us come onto your property and enjoy the fruits of your labor, you're oppressing us. So, where I agree that people should be able to do what they want to do, and and um, organize voluntarily the way that they want to. Uh, when it comes to the issue of property, um, one man's freedom is another man's oppression, and uh, and both of them feel justified in the way that they look at it. Right, and you see that with the Antifa protests and the other black bloc type events where the communists will go around smashing store windows and say that it's rightful resistance against oppression and say that it's not violence, but rather they're just self-defense. It's, uh, I, I, I don't, it's hard to see the principle at play, but you're right. That, that's, it's a very incompatible, um, they're incompatible ideologies. Yeah, so then that brings up the, the, the I guess, inner dialogue that I have with myself, the, but I think is, probably a, a rational dialogue that we should be having amongst ourselves is um, what do we do when we say, hey, we just want to be over here trading voluntarily and other people say your trade is oppressing upon us. Um, 
the fact that you're not, you know, you're not willing to just voluntarily give us the fruits of your labor because we're, you know, we were born and we have a right to, because, because what it really comes down to is, is, uh, a lot of people, they, they claim and they probably believe that, uh, you know, that you can't own property. You can't own the earth. It's going to be here after you die. Just like, you know, the, the, the argument over intellectual property rights. A lot of people consider, uh, physical property just as, um, illogical to own as, uh, as intellectual property. And, um, that it, it's more of a mindset and it's not, it's not so much these guys are bad guys. It's these guys see things differently. And because of the way that they feel, because of the value that they have or the faith that they have in themselves, because of, uh, the, I mean, it, as soon as a anarcho-socialist gets an inheritance from their rich uncle, they're probably not going to be an anarcho-socialist for very much longer. But <laughs> up until that, up until that point though, um, those ideas are totally justified. And in an anarchist society without the state, uh, we, we're going to have to figure out some sort of way to deal with differing ideas. And when it comes to like, that's really the hard line division is, is, uh, can people own property or do people have the right to exercise control over a piece of property? Um, when, when does, uh, abandonment occur? I mean, if you're not, if you're not using your house except for once a year, have you abandoned it? If you don't use it every, except for every three years, have you abandoned it? When you drive to the grocery store to get groceries, have you abandoned your house? Like these types of things are, questions that people don't agree on and it makes me wonder absent the state would we find some sort of way to agree on them or would we and, and i'm definitely not like a, um i'm not a hobbesian i definitely don't think that without the state we would digress into our our most our most like a primordial violent nature but uh it, it does raise the question um how do we handle the conflict of ideas and, and same thing with like what we were talking about free speech and you know, what's free speech and what's hate speech. These people that are anti free speech, I don't really think that they see themselves as, as oppressors. I think that they see us as free speech people. And I, I don't agree with things that, you know, a lot of the stuff I see on the alt right side of the conversation, I wholeheartedly disagree with, but I am, and it used to be kind of a tenet of liberalism is, is I don't agree with what you say, but I agree with your right to say it. But a lot of these kids, I don't think that they see themselves as anti-free speech. I think that they see themselves as we're stopping the next Hitler. So, you know, by any means necessary. And, and by it, being it just literally to... the next Hitler. <laughs> yeah. But, but, by, it, but, but comes... like we said, by, by using violence to try and stop an idea, all you do is fan the flames. Yeah. But it, it comes down to, because the way they see the world, they feel justified in taking the actions that they take. And, uh, I don't think that that's going to go away just because we get rid of the idea of the state. I think that, um, I think that there's still a lot of work to do, I guess is, is what I'm, uh, getting at. Well, yeah. I think there's a, a lot to unpack in, in what you just said there, but I, I just want to make two points and then I'll let Robert have the floor. I think that some of the stuff that you said is one of the reasons why the left and commies are, are against guns, 
right? Because that's in the absence of the state, that's one of the means by which people would be able to defend their private property, right? And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, that philosophy of, well, nobody should own anything, but you should give me the fruits of your labor is really a philosophy of jealousy, right? And the irony of that is that those people who hold that mindset consider capitalists or people who do voluntary trading are successful as being selfish, right? So it's, it's totally opposite, right? Like, you're selfish for looking out for your self-interest, but give me your stuff. Well, who, right. Who's it's actually not selfish, selfish to want other people's stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so that's just one of the one of the points I wanted to make. So the anti-gun thing, and then who's actually selfish? But uh, Robert, you have the floor here. Uh, Nathan well, said I a lot wanted, of stuff. So yeah, Nathan said a lot of stuff, and he did, made a lot of good points. Um, it just brought up in my mind this idea of you know being you know, deserving you know, other people's stuff just for existing. It's really an argument against nature. Because nature is, by its very nature, scarce. So you're basically arguing against scarcity. Like, I just by existing, I should have sandwiches and a home and all this stuff because it exists somewhere. But there isn't enough for everybody because I don't have all that stuff. So it's an argument for just because I exist, I should have all the stuff I want as if all your dreams and all your wants should just be actualized and manifested just because you want them. It's really this childish mindset that I don't have to work for anything. I just have to exist and it will be provided for me. It's like this continuation of the family unit where you're a child and all your wants and needs are met as you're growing up, not for having to work for it, just because you exist. And then you become an adult and you move out of the house and all of a sudden you have to work for things. And you're like, what the fuck is this bullshit? This isn't right. This isn't fair. I was just getting everything just by existing and now I'm not. So it's, it's a really, I hate to just insult my opponents, but it seems to be this childish mindset of scarcity shouldn't exist even though it does. So I'm being oppressed by nature and because other things exist in the world that other people have created, I have somehow a right to that, even though I haven't contributed in any way. Um, I just can't get behind that philosophy. I don't really understand the integrity of the philosophy. Um, it seems to be, like Daniel said, a jealousy for other people's things. Um, not as if you're going to contribute to the world. You just deserve the world because you were born into it. What? It makes me think if this person was born on Mars all by themselves, they would just lay down and die because they couldn't create anything themselves or they shouldn't have to create anything themselves. I I struggle to so, see the merit in the philosophy is my main point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, like I said, it, it really comes from, in my opinion, it comes from uh, insecurity. It comes from... Uh, like Dan said, it comes from jealousy and selfishness. Uh, but we have to understand, I think, I, I'm not trying to prescribe this, but being that I did come from that mindset, um, I just want to, I just want to play devil's advocate for a second and, and think about sure. like property rights in general. So on one side of the, on one side of the argument, you guys are, 
fairly, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are fairly uh, familiar with like the, the donut theory of property rights, right? Yeah, but go ahead and explain it for the audience. Okay, so the idea is I homestead some property and then somebody else comes and, or I buy some property, however it may be, somebody else comes and buys all of the surrounding property, thus leaving me inside of a donut. And so every direction that I go, I have to cross their property to get out to the world around me. So they can put up toll roads or they can just put up a fence that blocks their property off and I have no way to get over or under their property. Um, and that's kind of where the slippery slope against property rights arguments come from. And a lot of people will say, even if it's not a donut, just the mere fact that I want to travel from point A to point B in your yard is directly in the middle of the path that I want to, to, to travel. Your concept of property rights is a direct violation of my, uh, of my right to travel. Um, so I, I just kind of want to, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is these people. And when I say these people, I, I, wholeheartedly admit that I used to be of this mindset. I don't think a lot of these people are, they don't see themselves as the oppressor. They see us as the oppressor. They see us as the, as the bad guys. They see our concepts of property as oppressive and merely just letting them exist in their own little commune isn't going to change the way that they see us. Isn't going to change the fact that they see us as oppressive, that they see our mindset as oppressive. Um, and Nathan, so if I could just interject a, just a second. Um, this is on your line of thinking. Hopefully I don't interrupt you. But um, when you were from this mindset, did you believe that, like, property was theft? And how did you, you know, reconcile the fact that you owned things? Well, and, and this is the thing, is, is uh, I did not believe that property was theft. I did believe that profits were theft, though. And I don't believe that anymore. But uh, I did believe that uh, workers were exploited, and I did believe that um, we needed some some sort of authoritarian power to uh, to stop rich people from getting too rich and to stop poor people from being too poor. Um, I, like I said, I was an anarcho-socialist, uh, but I believed if the government was going to, I didn't believe this government was necessary or, or legitimate. But I believed if they were going to exist, that's the one function they should have is to stop the rich from becoming too powerful and stop the poor from becoming too powerless. And uh, I don't I don't think that government is a proper way to handle it. I think that um, now, having exposed myself to, to broader ideas, I, I feel like free markets would actually do a better job of, of equaling out than government does. Um, but. The fact of the matter is, is I do understand that these, these kids that are going and burning down Berkeley and these kids that are, uh, physically assaulting people for wearing make, make Bitcoin great again hats. These kids don't, <laughs> these kids don't see themselves as the bad guys. And so merely getting rid of the state won't, won't end their desire to censor because they don't see themselves as censors. They see themselves as as warriors against hate. And so there is a deeper, there is a, I feel like what I, I guess my main concern is we have a tendency to just write them off as, as 
uh, you know, the anti-fascists or the actual fascists, we have a tendency to write them off as idiot kids. We have a tendency to write them off as uh, cowards and black block uh, uh, property destroying idiots. But these these kids actually see themselves as the heroes. And, and we all see ourselves as the heroes. That's, uh, you know, part of the human condition is we see ourselves as the good guys and we see people who disagree with us as the bad guys. And um, while I agree that getting the getting rid of the state would would solve a lot of problems, I, I'm not sure that uh, that just letting or just assuming let's just put people in there, you know, let's let these people live over here to their mindset and let's live over here to our mindset. I'm not sure that that actually um, would solve the problem of them not understanding. Pro- and, and for me, it took actually researching. It took starting my own business. It took uh, understanding how much work goes into building a business and how much work goes into actually managing a business before I was able to. And it took watching my business being taxed and having those tax dollars used for things that I didn't want my tax dollars going towards. And it took, uh, like I said, reading books like uh, Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson and realizing that price controls and, and just handing out welfare checks aren't solving the problem. It took communication. It took, uh, it took somebody putting out these works and, and being able to be exposed to these ideas uh, for me to be able to move out of that mindset. And, and that's kind of why I'm so excited about uh, podcasting, YouTube, um, and, and the ability, you know, the ability to not have FCC regulating all of our communications. I think that communication is going to go a lot further than um, just dismantling the state, I guess, is, is kind of where my position is at. So do you see the solution more along the terms of, I mean, in your own situation, education changed your mind. Do you, do you see them just being, this being a fundamental difference between people who respect property rights and those who don't? Um, or you see it as an education issue where these people can be reasoned with and educated? I think that they can. I think that not not in camps, and, and, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, re-educated in, in camps. Yeah, no, uh, no. I think that, and this is kind of where being a marketer comes into play. Um, you have to learn how to communicate your ideas to people because a lot of us on both sides of the aisle, uh, the liberty versus the authoritarian, because that's really the two differences. I'm not really a left-right guy. I'm an, I'm an authoritarian versus libertarian type guy. Um, on both sides of the aisle, though, when we're trying to engage in conversation, we don't take into consideration where the other person is coming from. We just want to prove ourselves right. We want to lay out our, large, our logical arguments. And in advertising, in marketing, one of the things that they, that they teach you it's one of the very first lessons is you have to join the conversation that's already going on in the other person's head. You have to meet them where your maps have overlay, where your worldview has overlay, and then work out from there. So we were kind of discussing before the call, whether you're on the left side or on the right side, all of us have issues where we oppose authoritarianism. We oppose the power of the state being used to force other people's opinions down our throat, whether it's... uh vaccines on one side where people say, hey, you know, my body, my choice means I shouldn't be forcibly vaccinated. 
whether you agree with vaccines or not, that's besides the point. Um, some people have issues with the school system and, and coercive education. Some people have issues with taxes being used for, for endless war. Some people have issues with taxes being used to, uh, to per, or perpetuate uh, poverty and, and dependency on the welfare system. Everybody has certain issues, but we don't start with those issues and work outwards. At least most of us, I try to because I found that to be much more effective. But a lot of us just start with, oh, you're an idiot, you're a fascist, you're a socialist. Um, and we really start with a brick wall. And it's really hard, uh, it's really hard to get somebody to agree with you at the end of a conversation if you didn't get them to agree with you at the beginning of a conversation. And that's why in advertising, uh, the first thing that you want to do is, is let the person that's reading your advertisement or listening to your advertisement, you want to connect with them. You want them to know that you're on the same level as them, that you understand the problem that they're facing or you understand that the, the desire that they're trying to get to and then work your way out from there um, to where you get to the end of the conversation where you propose your solution. If you start out that conversation um, with a similar worldview or a similar mindset, by the time you get to the end of the conversation, you're much more likely to have that, have them walk all the way there with you. But if you start off the conversation as, oh, you're just a commie or, oh, you're just a fascist, there's no way at all that you're going to come to agreement as to the proposed solution, which in our opinion is getting rid of the state. There's no way that you're going to get them to that point if you start off the conversation by saying, oh, this is just a spoiled socialist uh, Starbucks window smashing black block protester or, oh, this is just an alt-right neo-Nazi fascist pig. Well said. Speaking, you know, yeah. not to derail the conversation too much, but just how, having a marketer on, I just couldn't help but mention, have you heard uh, the Bill Hicks tirade against marketing? <laughs> yes, and I love Bill Hicks. And uh, yeah. I actually, that's one of my favorite, <laughs> that's one of my favorite pieces of him because I'm going to be straight up about it. There's a lot of truth in some of the anti-marketing stuff. But as a capitalist and as somebody who's a business owner, I also understand that if you've got something of value that you want to offer to people, you have an obligation to market it. You have to get the message out to people. If you, the, the idea that build a better mousetrap and the world will be a uh, path to your door, it's not true. If you build a better mousetrap, you have to hire marketers to let the world know about it or you're going to go broke. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's a struggle. It's struggled. I like Bill Hicks a lot, but to listening to that one and knowing I know about free trade and capitalism is a little bit hard. So I, I was wondering, so you actually enjoy that bit. <laughs> yeah, as much as I find it insulting, um, okay. I there's a little bit of truth to it. I mean, and, and this is the this is the fact of the matter is is uh, a lot of marketing. Um, it, it's a very thin line between manipulation and persuasion, and mm. a lot of the a lot of the tactics that marketers use uh, can very easily be used to manipulate people. If I guess the way that I look at it is. Um, being a capitalist, being somebody that enjoys the spirit of capitalism, I believe that a free trade should end up in both people walking away improved. So right. I have a dollar, you have an apple, you value my dollar more than I value my dollar, you value my dollar more than you value your apple, I value your apple more than I value my dollar, so I give you the dollar for your apple. We both walk away feeling 
like we walked away with more than what we walked into it with. That's when, my... Whether there's a worm in there or not, right? It's ex ante. <laughs> it's, before the, it's beforehand, right? Yeah, exactly. No but, guarantee to be satisfied. But, yeah, well, I mean, unless you make a guarantee, unless part of, unless the Apple sign that I'm, when I go to your stand and the sign says, guaranteed no worms in these apples, then we've got some beef. But um, I believe as a marketer, I won't take on I won't take on clients that I don't believe in their product. Um, I won't help people market things that I don't believe will actually benefit people's lives. So, uh, but a lot of marketers will. I see a lot of marketing where um, people get duped into things that that if they had full information or um, if they understood what was going on, that they wouldn't buy into, uh, and that people wouldn't be selling if if the other person knew. So there is there's there's a lot of conning. There's a lot of manipulation that can happen. Um, I basically say if in your marketing, you're bringing somebody to a position where they're appreciative of you convincing them to make the purchase, then you've persuaded. If you bring them to a point where they regret the purchase because you held back or you manipulated the information that they were able to get, then you're manipulating and both happen in marketing. So Whereas Bill Hicks only looked at uh, the manipulation aspect of it and and made a blanket statement about marketing from that point of view, there is another side to the coin, and I try to stay exclusively on that other side of the coin. But I don't I don't deny that the reverse side is there, and um, I don't I don't uh, hate on Bill Hicks for for exposing that other <laughs> side either. Okay, cool. All right, so. Um... Any way we can tie this back to the movie at all, because we've been going almost an hour, I think, and, you know, ostensibly we're talking about pump up the volume. So any any thoughts on that, guys? Let's, well, let's, um, uh, you saw this recently, Nathan. Uh, do you know oh, yeah. if he's um, specifically charged with anything at the end of the movie, or do they just drag him away in handcuffs? Because, I mean, isn't it, not to legit and justify it, but doesn't the FCC just, like, fine you if you have, like, a... A thing, or is it just kind of played up for the movie to have this big dramatic finale? You know, in the movie, I'm not exactly sure. the uh, The end of the movie is him and his girlfriend being ripped out of their jeep and thrown in the back of a police van. Mm-hmm. And then, as the police van is is driving away, you hear all of the other uh, pirate radio people start introducing their shows. So it it kind of shows the uh, or, or visually paints the idea of you can't really kill an idea. All you can do is spread it by trying to beat it down. Um, so it doesn't really make it clear as to what happens okay. to him. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess kind of to tie it back to what we've been talking about. Um, it, I don't know. I, I just am as much as people get down about the times that we live in and as much as doom and gloom gets prophesized, uh, I just kind of have to look back at the fact that this conversation that we're having right now and the amount of people's ears that it'll get into never would have even been possible 20 years ago. So uh, okay. as much as much uh, censorship and as much um, authoritarian as authoritarianism is still prevalent in our society, um, the free market has definitely figured out ways around those blockades to a point where now I think that the, the reason that we're seeing these uh, social justice warrior type people reacting the way that they're reacting is because they've lost control of the narrative so much. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Like technology is always leading legislation, right? The regulation, and uh, they they had a stranglehold on the mediums of dissemination of ideas, and now they've lost that control. So of course they're, you know, angered by that. But um, I think things like net neutrality, which has a very innocuous name and sounds like a good idea, uh, would institute or implement a lot of that control mechanism that they so desire. And, um, yeah, I think that these are all very good points that you brought up, Nathan. And it's it's not just that either. Um, like academia, you used to have to go to college and you used to have to get a doctorate or some sort of certi cert certification um, to be educated. And, and this is going to be anecdotal. This is just my personal experience. But I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school in the 12th grade never went to college, completely autodidactic past that point. Um, I've been able to study marketing. I've been able to study research, uh, studying research advertising. I've been able to study uh, and implement this knowledge into building websites, into building sales funnels for people, into, into building uh, email autoresponder series, um, into how to make, uh, you know, profitable business decisions, and now it's to the point where I can charge people 200 up 200, 500, a thousand dollars an hour just to talk to them and help them set up their businesses. And this is coming from somebody who dropped out of high school and didn't go to college. Um, I, I exploiter, can exploiter. <laughs> but, but the fact is, is they pay me because that five, you know, that $5,000 a month that they pay me turns into $15,000 or $30,000 for them. So, um, but I didn't have to go to college to get this information. I didn't have to go and bow before the throne of, of authoritarian academia to become successful in life. Um, you can go on YouTube and figure out how to fix or create pretty much anything. You can go to Coursera. You can go to Udemy. You can go to lynda.com. Um, you can go to my website and learn how to podcast and learn how to broadcast your message to the world better than a college course can teach you. So not just uh, podcasting and YouTube, but the availability of things like Khan Academy, um, the free market, the ability to communicate has revolutionized the world. And, and I think that uh, the reason that, you know, touching back, and I don't want to beat up on, on SJWs the whole time, but they are a direct product of this old mindset of authoritarian academic, um, you know, thought controllers. And, Definitely. uh, that's not, that's not the way the world is going. And, and I think that these people are, you know, the, the college professors and the politicians and, um, the, the people that own the old dinosaur media, these people are terrified of what we've been able to do once we've been able to communicate. And, um, I think that they, I think that they see just as much as I see their grip uh, on control of the narrative and, and the world in general is uh, is quickly um, releasing. And uh, people like me, people like you, and all of these, you know, it's so easy to start up your own business and, and get your message out there and and uh, and change the minds of people that uh, that wasn't possible when this movie 
pump up the volume was made and they had us, you know, the FCC had a way to clamp down and stop any kind of counter narrative from being out there. And that's just not possible nowadays. And, um, as, as crazy as the world is and as, as, uh, authoritarian as the left and, and, and even the right in some cases seem to be getting, um, I still hold out a lot of hope for the future as far as, as far as communications ability to impact and, and change the minds of people. No, that's great. I've got a couple of points, two ironic and then, and then a third. Um, the, uh, the first two are with the SJWs, uh, and the college professors and all of those folks, um, calling out us as privileged when in fact they are the ones who are privileged enough to be as comfortable as they are to be able to worry about such things as which pronoun someone is using. You know, like they're not scrapping by like trying to get food. Uh, you know, the, the wonders of capitalism have allowed them to rise to a level of their uh, living standard being high enough to where they can actually go out and smash windows and, and uh, they, they can worry about these kinds of things that really aren't, uh, in my mind, significant issues to begin with. Uh, yeah, they're, the, they're so privileged. They're so privileged that the worst thing they have to worry about is microaggressions. Right, yeah, they're so privileged that they're worried about your privilege. <laughs> right. For being a, a and whether white you're, male. <laughs> and whether you're wearing, like, dreadlocks or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's the other thing, right? They, they get it both ways. They're like, okay, they want this cultural diversity. Uh, you know, we're, we're better and stronger through diversity. But if you take anything from another culture and claim it for your own, then it's appropriation. They win both ways. Yeah. You know, can terrible. always be outraged. <laughs> always Only be if outraged. you take them serious. <laughs> the privilege of outrage, constant outrage. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, um, and this kind of ties back to, uh, and you made great points about not wanting to just write them off. I think that, that I tend to want to do that because I don't feel like anything they say is going to change my mind at this point. Like I feel like I've found something that is actually true. Um, and they probably think the same thing. So, you know, unfortunately, I think they're wrong. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to bring up the point that even despite all the taxation that happens in the United States today and the fact that the government tells them, hey, there's this program, that program, and these programs that are all helping people. So in essence, you're already paying for something. You're being told that it's already going to help people. Yet the American people are still the most giving when it comes to charity. So just imagine if you weren't told, hey, this is already being taken care of. Just imagine if you weren't already expropriated 30 to 40 percent of what you uh, produce, income tax, uh, business taxes, whatever. Just imagine what it would be like if those things weren't already like told to you that, hey, you're already paying for this and it's already being taken care of. Well, just so look at when Trump was elected, how the donations flooded into Planned Parenthood. Exactly. That's a perfect illustration. Like, we need government funding for this. Then they just totally refute their own <laughs> their own message, right? <laughs> By donating, yeah. Hey, we look. We could do this ourselves, huh? There's a thing we care about, and we're going to do it ourselves, huh? Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. And then the well, last see, point, and, and this is uh, this is one for you, Nathan. If if uh, you can guarantee me that there's no worm in this apple, I will gladly trade you five thousand dollars every month to to bring back ten or fifteen. I mean, I do that all day long. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll maybe we'll talk about that off of air then. Very good. 
All right, so uh, why don't we start to wind this down? My wife just sent me a text saying that uh, Kid One's being an a-hole and she needs help. So uh, final thoughts on the movie, and then Nathan will give you uh, the floor for a moment to peddle your wares, and then we'll shut it down. All right, you want my final thoughts on the movie first? Yes, please. Yeah, ladies first. Ah. I told you my preferred pronoun is Z, Zer, and they. Um, I think that, uh, I think that it's a, it's a great movie for free speech. And because of the time period, it's not really reflective of, uh, of reality now. It's, it's kind of completely the opposite. It, it, it definitely has a, a little bit of a left leaning slant to the free speech arguments at the time. And now, um, it's the conservatives that seem to be more about free speech, which is, is, I, I guess watching it, it's, it's hard to stay in the movie because of how much the script is flipped. But overall though, I think it has a pretty awesome message. And, uh, like I said, it is the reason that I started podcasting. So, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, even though, even though the, the role reversal kind of takes you out of it, it's still a really awesome movie to go back and watch. Very good. Um, I haven't seen the movie in a while, but it reminded me of a movie called The Fisher King. Um, it's very recent. Not not recent. I don't know when Fisher King came out. Probably like 2000s at some point. But there was also a, in that movie, there's a, a radio DJ who has kind of like a shock jock guy. And uh, one of his listeners would phone in and they'd have conversations. And, you know, he was talking about maybe committing suicide or something like that. And then he ended up did committing suicide, and the DJ kind of spirals off into, you know, self-doubt and whatnot. Um, I would just remind people that, um, yeah, you, the words you say have an effect on people, but at the end of the day, people have self-ownership, and they are responsible for themselves. So even if you go tell somebody that they should kill themselves, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say to somebody, but if they in fact do, you're actually not responsible for that. Yes, you may have contributed to their depression or what have you, but you're not necessarily responsible for their death, um, which is why we have this thing called free speech. So uh, interesting parallel between those two movies, but um, the idea that someone is liable because he has a radio show and he's saying something you disagree with or he says some mean thing um, doesn't mean that they're the worst person in the world. Uh, the people that actually go out and kill people and commit physical violence, those are, those are the bad people, people. And that's, and that's my two cents. I, I wish I had seen it recently. Um, I remember it being a very pro-freedom kind of a movie. Um, and it, it's kind of in line. A lot of the movies in the 80s were kind of like pro-freedom, like Footloose. That was all about how, you know, some town outlawed dancing. And the kids were all like, no, we're going to rebel and we're going to dance, man. Just watch us dance. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so who knows? I mean, maybe we'll get more of those movies in the soon, but I've seen a SJW trend in Hollywood lately. Uh, um, hopefully we're not going to get uh, too much of that. Hopefully that kind of mindset will be uh, beaten out by better ideas. Well, you, were, you and I were, were talking offline uh, a while ago about how Marvel's taken this SJW turn and now all the uh, superheroes have turned into women somehow. And their profits yep. are just dropping off like a rock, you know, and so that's yep. going to eventually affect what they do, right? That's going to change the direction. Like, that's that's the beauty of the capitalist system. That's profit and loss. You know, you do something people like, 
you're going to make money. Do something they don't like, guess what? <laughs> you're not going to do it much longer. That's right. I think I also just recently read something, because I'm also a huge comic book nerd. Um, I just read something recently that Marvel, Marvel is taking the market hints, and they're saying that uh, after they're done with the recent runs that they're doing, that they're going to start backing off of, of uh, using their platform to shove their political ideology down the throats of their readers. Cause really they're marketing ideas to people that are just not the ideal SJWs aren't buying Marvel comics. So right. using it as a platform to push those ideas to an audience that has no need for them. It's just a bad mm-hmm. business model. Yeah. Yeah. You're proselytizing to people that have no interest in what you're saying. And these are the people that are buying or usually buy your books. So it, it was a weird turn it's almost like they're trying to virtue signal that they're the progressive um comic book company and that you should accept these ideas but people don't necessarily like to be preached to in their entertainment all the time uh, so yeah i'm glad that they're facing a, a market uh, pushback oh god oh 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 so so nathan <laughs> tell Having us uh, where you're Having at what you do Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Oh, my goodness. For people that have watched the movie recently, that'll be really funny. Well, my circle of friends used to call that having a champion for years afterwards. And I never knew where it came from. Or maybe I did know at one point and then I'd forgotten. But Daniel reminded me of that just last night. Uh, So thank you for that, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think guys, it's uh, it's a great fun movie, and rewatching it now is 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 really great. It's actually moving up the charts in my you know top list of movies. Um, even just having this conversation made me think it's uh, better than previously thought. Cool. It is. Like I said, I went back and rewatched a bootlegged version of it on YouTube the other night, and I was just like, oh man, I forgot how good this movie was. Sweet. So go check it out, everybody. Yeah, well, hey, that, I, uh, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I was, was just going to say, let's wrap this up. And uh, Nathan, you know, let us know how to find your wares. Uh, let the audience know more about you. Okay, cool. So my podcast is called The Nathan Fraser Show. You can find it at NathanFraserShow.com. Uh, if you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, I have a website called Podcast Blast Off. It's got lots of tutorials, lots of blog posts, a free course that people can find out about uh how to set up and uh, start their podcast. I, I approach podcasting from a very business-minded point of view. So um, most of the course is about marketing principles and how you can use them to make your podcast as successful as possible. So if success in the podcasting realm is something that you're interested in, definitely check out Podcast Blast Off. And then uh, I also run a online community um, of liberty-minded business owners, marketers, and entrepreneurs. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to freemarketsquad.com and find a bunch of uh, pro free market capitalist business materials there as well. All the exploitation you could ever want right there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, thanks for joining us. This has been the Actual Anarchy Podcast. We run actualanarchy.com and readrothbar.com. Feel free to click on the tip jar link We've got a Patreon page at patreon.com slash readrothbard. 
or click on any of the Amazon links, purchase any of the goods that you desire from those exploiters over there at Amazon at the good prices, best service uh, you can get. Somehow people are upset about that. Uh, ActualAnarchy.com, ReadRothbard.com. This is Daniel saying, uh, Robert, final word. Thank you so much for joining us today, Freedom Nerds. Thank you to our guest. It was fantastic discussion. Uh, come back again. We'll have more stuff, more analysis of uh, maybe forgotten gems in your movie-watching past that you can watch again with a new perspective. Take care, everybody. And don't forget, talk hard. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do